come to you to a day to worship our great God and also a, a special day for the life of our congregation as we have already welcomed our new pastor, Jeff Birch, but he will be officially installed uh, this morning as the pastor of Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. So if you're, if you're not Presbyterian, you're about to find out something, you're going to get the real Presbyterian uh, treatment today. Now also uh, today, we're, we're pleased, some, something we're returning to, we are providing now a nursery uh, for our worship services and uh, children's worship time. And uh, if you, if your children would like to do this for children ages four to six, you'll see after we sing the doxology uh, that you may take them. If you just go out those doors, there'll be somebody out there to, uh, to guide you there and they can go and take part in the children's worship as well. And we're thankful for the volunteers making that possible. Now let me uh, mention as well, uh, now following the uh, service, uh, we're gonna have a reception for our new pastor and his wife, Evie. It's gonna be out in the uh, pavilion. And I've instructed them, I've instructed um, Dr. Chapel. I said, you have got to just get out of here immediately and go to the pavilion so that you can't catch them here. And if you're gonna see them, you gotta go out there to the pavilion and you can have a slice of cake as an appetizer for lunch later on. <laughs> now I mentioned uh, Dr. Uh, Brian Chappell is here uh, speaking uh, this morning. Uh, Dr. Chappell is the President Emeritus at Covenant Theological Seminary, uh, which is the seminary of our denomination. He is a pastor. What was the last church you pastored in Peoria? Grace Church in Peoria, the, uh, the church that uh, the Round Trees uh, were members of. And uh, he is presently the uh, stated clerk pro tempore, which means in about another month he has to go up for election, and hopefully he'll, he'll pass that election and be our stated clerk. But the main thing that uh, ministers in particular uh, know Dr. Chapel for is he was professor of homiletics, of, of preaching, he is noted for the courses that he still provides, the books that he have written, particularly uh, Christ-centered preaching. So you are, a, you are welcome to critique his preaching this morning. Uh, and he welcomes that to see if he has made Christ the center uh, of that uh, sermon. And it's very appropriate that he is preaching this morning because I can tell you that is the heart of your new pastor, Jeff. Birch as well is to preach Christ, to preach the gospel every Sunday, and uh, so it's very apropos for you to be here. Now let's prepare our hearts uh, for worship.
In Psalm 96, we are told, O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. And we do come gladly, our great God, to declare your praise. And we praise you that you are the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. We pray for the anointing of your spirit, so that as we lift up our voices to you, your spirit would so touch our very hearts, that you would take delight of this worship we bring to you through our Lord Jesus Christ, in his name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty.
Let's pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And our Father, we give you praise that you are the one who dwells in heaven, that you are the one who sits upon the throne over the earth, over all of your creation. And we gladly praise thee, and we pray that truly in our worship that we would honor, hallow your name, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We do pray for your kingdom, and we pray for the, for the church, this particular church in your kingdom. Now, for where you have placed us here in uh, Lake Oconee, we pray that we shall be a witness uh, to the, your glory, a witness to the gospel, a witness for our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that we would truly be uh, a light upon a hill. And we pray, even now, we thank you for the blessings that you have given to this church over its years. And we thank you for the, how you have taken us through uh, the time of the COVID, how you now have brought us back together. We thank you particularly this day for bringing uh, to us uh, Jeff and Evie Birch. We trust uh, that you are the one who has called him here. And we, uh, we delight in this. And we pray now that as a church, uh, that together that we will honor our new pastor, that we look to the, the proclamation, the preaching that he will do, the, the pastoring, the prayers that he will give, and that with him, again, that we will be a strong witness as a congregation in our community in serving your kingdom. We pray, our Father, for your will to be done here in this lake area. We pray that we would do your will on earth as it is in heaven, and we look to you to provide for us all that we need to honor you, to serve your kingdom, to do your will. Provide us with that daily bread for our sustenance physically, spiritually, and emotionally, so that we may be faithful servants of yours. We pray that you would forgive our debts, which are many, and give us your spirit to forgive our debtors, and those debts which are few, all the more to continue to impress upon us the great cost that was made to forgive our debts. We pray that you protect us, lead us not into temptation, but protect us from the evil one. You know our weaknesses. You know the temptations all about us. Keep our eyes upon our Lord Jesus Christ. And we make this prayer acknowledging but to you belongs the kingdom, the power, and the glory. In Christ's name, amen.
Thank you. Please be seated. And as you're preparing your critique, thank you, Marion, um, turn to Luke 15. Luke 15. Jeff, as the Lord calls you to begin this pastoral charge, I know that for you and for all of us in such a situation, one of the first questions is, what will that first sermon series be? And for a moment, I'm going to ask you to think to the other end of the pastoral timeline. We know that there's a rather common book series that uh, those of us who are pastors turn to. It's published annually, and the title of it is, If I Had Only One Sermon Left to Preach. And that series goes to the noteworthy preachers of the current time and asks them, if you had only one sermon left to preach, what would it be? And then it publishes those sermons that supposedly show not only the expertise, but the priorities of those men of God. If I had only one sermon left to preach, what would it be? The priorities might be given to us by the Lord Jesus. After all, we know what his last public discourse was before his journey to the cross. When Jesus had only one sermon left to preach, what were his priorities? What would he say? Luke 15, verse 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let's eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. 
But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Among our three married children, my wife and I have Six grandchildren, all under the age of five. (laughs) Which means, now that we have COVID vaccinations, we are reacquainting ourselves with our grandchildren. And as we do so, how do I say this? When you have young children seeing grandparents after a year, there can be a little excitement. There can be a little overexcitement. Which means that grandkids and grandparents both need a time out. And it was during one of those timeouts from a little overexcited children that I reminisced recently about how our own children, when they were younger, would sometimes get overexcited. I remember coming home from work. One of the things I would do with my sons after dinner is I would wrestle with them in order to wear them out before bedtime. And uh, one was five, one was three at the time. And, you know, the three-year-old always got the worst of it because he could be overpowered by me and his older sibling, but at some point he discovered the great equalizer. It is called teeth. And he would bite. And he would bite his brother, and of course that resulted in discipline. And and one night as he was wrestling, he got so excited, he bit me. Hard! And I will tell you, at that point, it is to bed you go, sir. No discussion. End of all play. To bed. Now, I think my son slept just fine that night. His father did not. I tossed and turned, knowing that on that particular night, all that my son knew prior to going to bed was his father's anger. And so parents and grandparents, you know what comes next. You go into the room of your sleeping child. (laughs) And I picked him up, and there's that limp body, and I say, Jordan, I'm sorry. And I love you. And Jesus loves you. And in my own mind, I think this is exactly what is happening in this moment In the heavens. My heavenly father is holding this child, this father child, in his arms, in all my weakness and sin. And he is saying to me, And I love you, and will not let you go. When I don't deserve it, how do I know that is true? 
And the reason I know it is true is because of what Jesus says in this last public discourse. He has such important things to say. He knows the cross is just around the corner. This is the last opportunity to address all kinds of people. Those who are loving, those who are indifferent. Those who are hostile, those who are afraid. How will he speak to all of them? He tells three parables of losses. I just read to you the last one, but the the first is of a lost sheep. Now, sheep are lost not because they are in rebellion, not probably because there's any conscious decision to become wayward, A wayward sheep is lost just because it goes from clump of grass to clump of grass to clump of grass. And before he or the shepherd knows, he's lost. He's wandered away. And in the church, the lost sheep, the ones who just wander, are those who don't make any commotion. They don't rebel. They're not angry. They just kind of go from front row to back row to once a month, to once a year. And at some point down the road, the leaders of the church say, you know, I wonder whatever happened to... And they just wandered away. And Jesus tells the account of a lost coin. Now, (laughs) coins do not get lost by any intention of themselves. A coin is lost because of somebody else's neglect. And there are lost coins in the church. Often they're the children of the church. We get to know them maybe in vacation Bible school or Sunday school or summer camp. Um, When I began pastoring in the PCA, I was in what is allegedly the poorest presbytery of the PCA with many struggling churches, which means when summer camp time came, the only counselors we could afford were the pastors, which was a terrible idea, but we did it. And I remember one teenage girl coming alive in the Lord to believe that Jesus claimed her and loved her despite the awfulness of her family and background. and She just came alive in the Lord. And some weeks after summer camp, I remember visiting her in the neighboring town from which her family came. And as I visited the family and tried to encourage her in her newfound faith, she told me at some point that she was going to be working at a particular location in our county where the worst of our society and the worst of men would be her experience. I begged her not to do it. And she said, oh, I'll be okay. And then with words that said more than she meant, she added, my parents don't care. And they did not. I did not see her for years. And then just by chance in a grocery store line later on, she was ahead of me, a couple of people. I saw her and we got reacquainted. She was at that point in her early 20s. She looked 40. Already in and out of a marriage already with children who were now without the father in the home. She looked so worn. She put on the fake smile. But I knew I was looking at a lost coin. 
And Jesus knew it too. There are, of course, the lost sons. The children who are raised in the faith. And their their lostness, their wandering, is not due to neglect. It is not due to just wandering away. It is willful, deliberate rebellion. It is turning the back on all that you have been taught and the love that has been shown you. If we are parents of such children, we can barely bear to think of what Jesus is saying. Because we know these children and we know the pain of parenting these children. And Jesus tells us that he understands it too. These are the people that have gone through the worst of of what we offer and And they've turned their back on it and they hurt us in the process. This son, when he turns his back on his father, give me what you owe me of your inheritance, is saying to his father, I just assumed you'd be dead. I want what's mine. And then he takes what is the love of the family and he uses it, his brother's pretty plain about it, to spend on prostitutes and squanders it all, and then turns his back on the faith. I mean, the Jews knew what Jesus was saying. He uses, even in his destitution, what strength he has to feed pigs, which would be an unclean animal to a Jew. He turns his back on family and faith, and we know these in the church too. In my own extended family, I think of one of my siblings adopted a child from some of the worst of this society's circumstances and extended love and faith and home. And yet when that child got into young adulthood, he decided that the way to make money was to gamble in Mobile. That did not go so well. And when the money ran out, the way he made money was by selling himself. And sometimes he would come home when he got desperate enough only to take advantage of his family, only to leave again, only to create more pain. And we understand. And Jesus understands. And through it all, he yet nonetheless says, and yet, my Father's love through me is such that I want you to know my attitude, those toward those who do not deserve any love at all. There is, after all, the the account of the lost sheep. And verse 5 tells us what happens when the shepherd finds it. Do you remember? And when he, the good shepherd, has found that sheep, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. I think how the writer of Hebrews tells us that the Lord Jesus when he went to the cross to take the burden of your sin and my sin on himself, the writer says he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. Not just assuming our burden, but rejoicing to do so. Mary was nice to mention my teaching in a seminary for a number of years. I remember a time when a student came with a preschooler to a theology class. And I don't know where mom was that day, probably at the doctor's appointment for the next child coming, but there was that 
preschooler, which means the, the dad in his knapsack not only had all the heavy theology books, but the sweater and the blanket and the American Girl doll and, of course, the inevitable covered cup of Cheerios. So when the bell rang for the next class and everybody's in a hurry to get to the next class, it kind of overwhelmed the father and his daughter. I mean, he got the books back in the knapsack and the blanket and the sweater and the American Girl doll. But as his daughter reached to give him the cup to put, he reached and knocked it on the floor. And to the spilled cup now turned his attention. And just absentmindedly, he just took that knapsack full of the books and the doll and the sweater and the blanket, and he gave it to his daughter. He said, honey, hold this, and he went for the Cheerios. And she felt the weight for just a millisecond. And she said, oh, daddy, I can't help. <laughs> and then he took the burden on himself. Friends, it's we who spilled the Cheerios. In our sin and our failings. And Jesus took the burden on himself, taking the punishment that was ours upon the cross. What we deserved, he took. And rejoiced to do so. But what about the Son? Verse 20, I slowed down to read because it's one of the most beautiful in all the scriptures. The son arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Because it's sweet, we, we don't read it in the Middle Eastern context that is there. What, what would it mean to be a Jewish father of affluence? And your son has rebelled and taken your wealth and squandered And now he is coming back. And while he is still a long way off, he has said nothing of repentance to his father. He's not confessed to sin. He's not said yet, I've sinned against you and against... He, none of that yet. But the father sees him while he's still distant and runs to him. I mean, the, the father, if he's... Rich, he has the necklaces on. He has the long Jewish beard. He has the long hair. The, the running, what does that mean? If he's wealthy, he's heavy. He's got affluence. And to run, you know what that means? You had to take that long robe and you had to take the bottom. You tie it into your belt and your knobby knees show because you're old. And he begins to run. And the chains are bouncing on his chest and the sandals are flopping on his feet and the beard's behind him and he's huffing and he's puffing and he's sweating. And the amazing thing is Jesus is representing God the Father through this Father. Saying to us, God through Jesus Christ would be willing to humiliate himself for us to go to die upon a cross to live in human likeness, taking the form of a servant and experience death, even death upon a scandalous cross for the sake of you and of me. The poet says it so simply, the fattened calf, the shoes, the robe, the ring, all for him unworthy son. But sweeter still, the most amazing thing, God ran to meet him. We see God run for whom? Us. 
sinners, weak, the lost sheep, the lost coins, even the lost children. Our God would run toward them so that they would know, so that we would know, each of us, because, friends, each one of us is to some degree the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost child, each one of us, so that we would know a love that will not let us go. What what do we want to teach, Jeff? What do we want people to walk away with? What do we want them to know above all things? What did Jesus want them to know above all things? I mean, the only way I know to express it with with half the power that he was, is just telling you about my worst counseling technique ever expressed. Young man in our church, raised in awful circumstances, but came to know the Lord, but could not escape his past. Which meant even though he was in the church, even though he led a Christian organization, even though he had a wife and children, expressed his past in ways that were awful. One time, disciplining one of his own children by threatening him in church with a hammer. Well, in small, poor towns, the pastors do the counseling for those people too. So the counseling starts. And I learned the true horror of a child raised in the home the man who was an alcoholic taxi driver. And my friend would express how his dad, when he would come home drunk and ashamed of being drunk, would rouse the family late at night, the wife and the children, put them in a circle on the living room floor and read endlessly about the grace of God with a butcher knife in the middle of the circle for anybody who fell asleep. As the son got older, he was sensitive and artistic. And one night, the taxi driver father, in the alcoholic fit, said he did not want to queer for a son and took out a pistol and began to shoot. And jumping through a window, my friend was saved and never returned home. And now he's a father. And now he's head of a Christian organization. But the rages and the quirkiness never left. So he was fired. And in the depression of that being fired, he turned to an illicit relationship, which was found out. So one day, he took all the money out of the family bank account and skipped down. In small towns, you know everybody knows everybody's business. And somebody from the neighboring town told me where he'd been sighted. I get in my car, I go, and I find him parked at a McDonald's. And now, pastors, you know what we do. I parked him in so he couldn't move. (laughs) Jim, you need to come home. Jim, you need to come with me. He would not move. It was like he was paralyzed, frozen at the steering wheel. I opened his door. I I steered him out of his car into mine. He was like a robot. He was like a zombie. He was just moving and nothing more until we pulled into his driveway. And then all the pain and the embarrassment began to pour out, which ended in rage. 
And in that rage, he told me that he knew how to end all the pain. And he bolted for his house out of my car, and I and he knew both what he had in mind. And that's when I applied my great counseling technique. I tackled him. As I tackled him, we fell through his front door. His wife was there. He began to yell at her. I held on to him. He began to yell at me and fight with me. I just held on. All I had in mind was, I will not let go. Until he believed that I would not let go, and by God's grace, he came to believe Jesus would not let go. It's what I want you to believe. Jeff, it's what I pray you will preach. Of a God who is gracious to us, not because of what we have done, but who knows the lost sheep and the lost coins and the lost children and says, I will not let you go, but I will come running. I'm not depending upon you to return to me. I will run to you, and I will not let you go. Praise God for his grace. Preach it. The world needs to hear it. This church needs to hear it. All us lost sheep and lost coins and lost children. The father who runs to claim his child. Father, thank you for the blessings of your word, the grace of your son, and the sweetness of the gospel. May it be strong in this place and claim hearts because Jesus' priorities have been made so plain. Bless Pastor Jeff that the things he holds most dear would be the truth that his people hold most dear and spread upon this community for the glory of Jesus, whose grace has been made known to us. Grant this goodness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Church in Macon, Georgia. And it's my pleasure to be here this morning. In some ways, it feels like an odd application to your sermon to do something very, very Presbyterian, but in a, maybe a sweet way, there's nothing better than to commission someone to this kind of ministry. So, in just a moment, we're going to be installing Reverend Jeff Birch to be the senior pastor here. But before we do that, I think it'd be important just to cover. What has gone into this process that brings us to this moment? Uh, the session of this church did a pastoral search and determined that Jeff Birch would be a good candidate. In fact, they liked him so much that they would extend an invitation to him. And this congregation, in doing so, convened and voted to elect that Reverend Jeff Birch would hopefully be the next senior pastor here at Lake Oconee Presbyterian. And at that time, a call to this pastorate was extended to him and accepted. And following this, uh, he would be examined. And for, he would have an examination and a transfer to Central Georgia Presbytery. And having been ordained in the PCA many years ago, he was examined in his views by the Candidates and Credentials Committee of our Presbytery. And on the floor of Presbytery, he was found suitable and qualified in all regards. 
And now this morning, we meet officially to install him as the pastor of this local body. I first met Pastor Birch, I think maybe when I was 24 years old. Uh, I was well-seasoned a year and a half probably into marriage with no kids at this point. But uh, I remember being in Florida, where it's always hot, and being extended pastoral hospitality. And that stuck with me. And when I saw his name as the new pastor, I was like, that can't be the same Jeff Birch. And indeed, it was. And before uh, I ask uh, Reverend Birch uh, some questions and we ask you as a congregation some questions, it's appropriate maybe to mention kind of the nature and the importance of today's happenings. Today, uh, Pastor Birch signifies a new calling on your life, a new congregation, a new ministry, and it signifies a new endeavor and a new opportunity to love and to lay down your life for this flock, for these sheep, as God has called you to serve them. And he is committing his time and his talents and his energies to God in order that he might serve this body with all the strength that God would provide. Also, today is a day where this congregation commits itself to supporting and encouraging him in this work, that you would faithfully support him and his family in this ministry to encourage him as he will surely undergo trials and hardships. I encourage you to receive the word of truth with him with eagerness to apply it and with meekness, to supply him the care that he needs and also to always supply for his worldly needs. But today actually is also, when you come right down to it, a joyous day. It is a good day for a good church to get a good pastor. And it is a day of celebration. It's a day of hope. It's a day of expectancy to look at what the Lord might do because he is the one who will build this house. So at this time, Reverend Birch, would you join me up here on the stage? I have only for you a few installation questions. First, are you willing to take charge of this congregation as their pastor, agreeable to your declaration and accepting its call? I am. Do you conscientiously believe and declare, as far as you know in your own heart, that in taking upon you this charge, you are influenced by a sincere desire to promote the glory of God and the good of the church? Do you solemnly promise that by the assistance of the grace of God, you will endeavor faithfully to discharge all the duties of a pastor to this congregation and will, careful, will be careful to maintain and deport in all respects becoming a minister of the gospel of Christ, agreeable to your ordination engagement? I do. Very good. Doug, will you please come up? Good morning. I've been asked to give the charge to you. So I have some questions to ask you all to on it. Do you, the people of Lake Oconee Presbyterian, continue to profess your readiness to receive Reverend Jeff Birch, whom you have called to be your pastor? Do you promise to receive the word of truth from his mouth with meekness and love, and to submit to him in the due exercise of discipline. Yes. 
do you promise to encourage him in his labors and to assist his endeavors for your instruction and spiritual edification? Do you engage to continue to him while he is your pastor that competent worldly maintenance which you have promised and to furnish him with whatever you may see needful for honor of religion and for his comfort among you? Pastor Roach, you join me once again up here, please. And as he comes up, at this time, I would like to invite any ordained ruling or teaching elders in the PCA to join us up here as we want to offer prayers for Pastor Birch and lay on hands. So please, if you would, join me up here. awesome God. You have a plan. You are in control. You close doors. You open doors. You led this congregation to call Pastor Jeff. You led Pastor Jeff to accept that call. We pray now that you send your Holy Spirit to use Pastor Jeff to shine your light upon this congregation. We pray that you send your Holy Spirit to this congregation to shine your light on it and let them shine their light in the Lake Oconee area and around the world. We just thank you for your blessings. We thank you for Pastor Jeff and just pray you be with him. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, Abba, Daddy, it is so delightful for me to see my friend, my brother, in this place to look at your hand over the years drawing him calling him to this point and preparing from years past this congregation this location this building this community to issue a call to him which is your call to him and I pray that he would be as faithful in the future as he'd been in the past that he will present the gospel that the gospel will be the the underlying uh, fire in his stomach and in his word I pray that you would let him go forth and that this congregation receive him as well as as any word from you that that he would show you are chasing after each one of us grabbing hold and never letting go. Father, we gratefully thank you for bringing your servants, Jeff and Evie, to the Lake Oconee Presbyterian. We ask that you continue to bless their ministry as you have in the past. Please lead us and guide us toward being more like Jesus. 
Help us to be a beacon of your will within the lake country and to the ends of your kingdom. We ask this in the name of your precious Son, Jesus. Heavenly Father, the charge that you give is the charge that you supply through those dependent upon your grace who would proclaim it not in their strength but in yours. And so we would ask for Jeff and Evie that as this calling is fulfilled, they would be able to perceive not just the depth of it, a calling to proclaim your word, a calling to endure suffering, a calling to be shepherds to your people, but ultimately it is a calling that the Apostle Paul referenced when he said, may all this count for nothing in comparison to the glory of my faithful proclamation of the gospel of the grace of the Lord Jesus. May that be, Lord, the strong message in this place and strength to your servant that those who come here would know Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Stay right there. Don't run off quite yet. It is my pleasure that I now pronounce and declare that Jeff Birch has been regularly elected and installed pastor of this congregation, agreeable to the word of God and according to the constitution of the Presbyterian Church in America. As, as such, he is entitled to all support, encouragement, honor and obedience in the Lord, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, a few preliminary comments before I offer a charge to Jeff. Uh, first, to know uh, our relationship, I was involved with a college ministry that spent its summers in Daytona Beach uh, working with college students, and every summer we would go to Spruce Creek Presbyterian Church, where Jeff and Evie were, and they would adopt the staff. So I counted, and I, best I can tell, I spent about a month of Sunday afternoons at your house uh, resting and the other preliminary comment is that every time I've ever spoken publicly in front of Dr. Chapel up to this point in my life, it's been for a grade. So, 
So I'm going to put on a brave face, and we're going to do this. No, sincerely, I am, I am humbled, and I am honored to be here today and to charge you. I'm also very excited. I'm excited for this new endeavor, this new journey that you are on. I'm also excited for this church because I know what kind of pastor and pastor's wife they are getting. And I'm really excited for me because we get to share in the work of Presbytery together now. And also, you're close, and maybe there's a chance that we can play an occasional round of golf together. Sadly, that last one was the first thought that I had when I heard that you were coming. But this isn't my time of confession. This is my time of charging to you. So I am honored and humbled to charge you because God has used you in my life, Jeff. Your influence and impact on me was far greater than the limited time we spent together. The Apostle Paul wrote the Thessalonians and said this. He said, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. And so what follows is a charge to love your people, share the gospel of God, and share your life, which as best as I can tell requires you to wear many hats. Uh, You have to be a theologian. You have to be an archaeologist. We'll get there. You have to be a host, and you have to be a poet. So first, do the work of a theologian. It's essential that you do the work of a theologian because your people are already doing it. They already are theologians. See, all of us are constantly asking and answering the essential and important questions about our lives. We're in this conversation with ourselves constantly. We are by nature meaning makers, philosophers, theologians, and you are called to shepherd them. So you must be a theologian. You've been called to engage this church and these people with the life-giving truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, exegete your passage and exegete your congregation. Know the burden of the text and the burdens of your people. And then take that truth and bring it right to the struggles that they have. If you're going to know the burdens of your people, then you need to know what is happening and perhaps more importantly, what has already happened in their lives. So brother, do the work of an archaeologist. Dig into the past. Get to know them. Go on a journey to discover all of the glory and all of the ashes that make people who they are. It's a glorious and privileged journey that God has called you on. I think about those many Sunday afternoons that we spent at your house. We shared our stories with you, and you always listened. We shared our opinions with you, for better or worse, and you always took the time to try to understand them. And you learned about our past, and you learned about our dreams, and you pastored us from a place of love and understanding. Keep doing that, brother. Which leads me to the next charge. If you're going to... If you're going to know your people and you're going to learn them, you have to do the work of a host. I'm so grateful for your time hosting me and my friends. Practice hospitality without partiality. If somebody is welcome at Christ's table, then freely welcome them to your table. Practice honest hospitality. Honest hospitality is vulnerable hospitality, but you have to do it anyway. 
I imagine, imagine this, having four or five 22-year-olds after a long day of preaching and working and doing church work on a Sunday, to have them over to your house, to have dinner, to have conversations, and then we all would spread out on basically every horizontal space in the house, and we would all take naps. It, all of our guards were down, and it was such a peaceful time of rest and reprieve for those of us who were around college students we were ministering to nonstop. Such a great time of rest, except for that one time when Joel, their teenage son at the time, decided to shred into the new drum set that he had just gotten in his bedroom while we were all taking a Sunday nap. And I got to see Jeff and Evie at your honest reaction to that. I think it was the first time I'd ever seen righteous anger. (laughs) But seriously, for a young man who was trying so hard by his own willpower to be perfect, it was so refreshing to see someone just relax and love Jesus. It was life-giving for me. So be a theologian, be an archaeologist, be a host. There's one more, but before we go there, we have to, there's one thing we must not do. Paul says to the Thessalonians that he and his companions were delighted to share both the gospel of God and our lives, and those two are not the same. You are not the good news. Do not attempt to do what only God can do. The words, you will be like God, are as tempting for us today as they were for our first parents, and especially attempting to pastors. And the best I can tell, all of us are predisposed to either want to be like God, Jesus, or the Holy Spirit. We want to control everything, or save everyone, or change people. But all of those are reserved for God. He alone can rescue. He alone can save. He alone is sovereign. He alone is infinite. You must depend on him. You are finite. And because you are finite, you must make choices. Choices of how best to spend your time, your energy, and your effort. And one of those choices, Jeff, must be to never love Jesus' bride at the expense of your bride. You are called to love, serve, and minister to the church, and God has called you to love this participant in Jesus' church, the first and the best. So love and serve Evie. Bring her to the feet of Jesus every way you know how. Which brings me to my last and final charge to you. Bring us all to the feet of Jesus. Show Jesus Christ to be as beautiful as he actually is. Do the work of a poet. Calvin rightly called human hearts idol factories, but We can get hung up on the negative side of us being idol factories and forget that the reason we're idol factories is because we long to worship. We want beauty. And here's the good news. You don't have to sacrifice truth for beauty. It's all right here. All the truth and all the beauty. Here is the life-giving truth that contains everything we need for life and godliness. And here is the most beautiful story ever told of how God is bringing his kingdom to bear on earth as it is in heaven through the death and resurrection of his beloved son. Meditate on that beautiful, 
orthodoxy until it burns within you and then show us the beautiful Christ and the Father that runs to prodigals. So whether you are preaching or counseling or comforting, whether you are in the pulpit or the prayer closet or on the putting green, in all of life, love these people so much that you delight to share the matchless beauty of the gospel of Christ and also your lives that have been made beautiful by him. Amen. Well, to the congregation, my duty is to give you the charge. I've waited this a long time <laughs> to give this congregation a charge. You know, uh, Jeff, uh, when I came here, my hair was the color of yours when I came here. And I was six feet tall. So, but uh, anyhow. Well, to the, char- to the congregation, I a simple charge, but uh, is this. You let him fulfill his office and his heart's desire. In Acts 6-4, the apostles said, We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so allow him to do that. Allow him, first of all, to pray for you. Uh, this is a man who daily prays for his people. When we were going to Presbytery, I had to pick him up at 530 I woke up at 5.15. No, no, I had to pick up at 6. I, had to, I got up at 5.15 so I could leave at 5.30. I found out he had been up since 4.30 to meet me at 6 because he needed that time uh, to, to read the Word and to pray. So he wants your prayer requests. Uh, let him pray with you. Call him up. Let him come to the hospital. He'll soon be able to go to the hospital to your home or here at the church, let him pray with you. Don't do, don't do what y'all did to me a number of times, and I would find out later on that you were in the hospital or that you were going through something, and, well, you didn't want to bother me. Uh, you knew I was busy. You are his business. To be with you, that's what he is to do and to be and he wants to be praying for you, let him do that. Secondly, and this has to do with his preaching, and and Jeff, you inspired me. I got three things, each beginning with the letter P, okay? Uh, Let him preach. And first thing I want you to notice is to value his time of preparation. I I don't know, um, probably Dr. Chapel knows better than I, because at some point, Somehow that room where your pastor is somehow came to be called an office. It is supposed to be called his study. That's the way it used to be, and somehow it moved to office. And value that time. And one way that you value that time is actually you'd be praying for him throughout the week, because throughout the week he is preparing his message. Pray for him on Sunday morning, but throughout the week, be praying for him. Uh, the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 4, 3 to 4, Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ and that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So be praying for him that the door would be open, 
uh, to, to be able to speak to people's hearts, that he will speak that gospel clearly. Uh, recount, when you speak to him later on, recount what you have learned. And uh, let me just say, it is always better to say, as you're going out, something like, you know, that he's got you thinking about something as opposed to just that you enjoyed it. I mean, he likes that okay. But, but what he really wants to know, I, I tell you the best compliment that you can give him if you're walking out the door is saying, that was a great scripture passage. I never saw that in there before. Boy, God's word is great. That will be the highest compliment that you can give to him. You are allowed to complain. If he does not preach Christ, if he does not preach the gospel, I don't care what text that he's in, he has got at some point show you Christ. He's got to show you the gospel, and he will value that. If somehow he was slack in that, he will thank you for bringing that to him. And then thirdly, uh, let, him, let him be your pastor. I mean, that's what he wants to be. And by that, in other words, let him into your lives. Let him into your home. Um, let him come to the hospital, whatever, however early it may be in the morning. Um, invite him out onto your boat. Whatever you like to do, let him into your life. Whatever you have a passion about, he really wants to know about that. He really wants to hear, you know, however it might seem that it's going to be boring, the reason he wants to know about that, because the more you share your passion, the more he knows you. And he cannot exegete you. He cannot speak to you if he doesn't know you. So this is his heart's desire, and this is his calling. And we are grateful he is now. He is now your pastor. And we're thankful that God has called him and brought him here. And let's close our worship by singing together. Let's stand and sing. Great is thy faithfulness.
before I give the benediction, I want to say as one who is extremely humbled and to tell the truth, very overwhelmed at the love of God right at this moment. I want to thank the Commission of Central Georgia Presbytery. Josh, I'll talk to you later. That was awesome, brother. So I want to thank all of the commission members. I want to thank the pastoral search team. They did an amazing job. And I don't know if you as the congregation really know how great a job they did. They were a prayerful people, a thorough people, and efficient people. It was wonderful to see them at work. Session, we're ready to go. The adventure begins. I think we have our first session meeting this week. I'm thankful for the elders and the deacons of the church. And as Marion shared, I am eager to get to know all of you. And as a fallen but redeemed man myself to love you as well as I am able, as best as the Lord gives me grace and strength. And so on behalf of Ebby, we thank you, the congregation of Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. We are, we are ready to go to work, and, and the only goal I have is that we all fall in love with Jesus all the more. And so, friends, I invite you. What did I teach you to do the first? We're going to open our hands, because you know what the benediction is? It is a blessing that I am privileged as a minister of the gospel to declare to you. So now, friends, receive the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.